Coming up on the Mission Readiness Review, we turn up the volume to the 11. The President has the best idea, ULA realizes there's a commercial space launch industry, and more up next on the MRR. The Mission Readiness Review's background music, Pod Dreams, was created by Stefan Kartenberg. Thank you, Stefan. Welcome to the March 18th, 2018 Mission Readiness Review. You're listening to Episode 2, It Will Be the Best Space Force. I'm John Holst, and this is my co-host, Ingrid. Hi, John. Hi, guys. Can you hear us this week? Is that what you meant by turning it up to 11? That's exactly what I meant by turning it up to the 11. Awesome. Yes, we don't want to hurt your, your little ears. Okay, so let's start off with the upcoming launches. There are three of them this week. The first one is March 21st out of Kazakhstan. The rocket going up is the Soyuz FG, and it is sending up three people to the International Space Station, which is, of course, in low Earth orbit. Also on March 21st out of French Guiana, an Ariane 5 ECA is sending up two satellites. One is a Superbird 8 Japanese military communication satellite. The other is a Hylus 4 UK commercial communication satellite into geosynchronous orbit. On March 24th out of India, the rocket GSLV is sending up a satellite GSAT-6A Indian communication satellite that is also in geosynchronous orbit. For last week's launches, SpaceX launched a Falcon 9 out of Florida on March 6th. It was the Spanish communication satellite Hispasat 30-W6. There's also an unscheduled launch that happened last week, actually this last Saturday. It was a Long March 2D out of China, carrying the Ludicancha Weixing 4 remote sensing satellite. Nice pronunciation. Thank you. What did not go? The Chinese Long March 3B's launch of the AppStar 6C communication satellite it is going to be rescheduled, but we do not yet have a date. Now we'll go on to the risk matrix, the analysis of some of last week's news. I do have a correction before we get into it. Um, I said last week in the podcast that uh, NovaWorks developed the deployer for the SSL-MDA HISPASAT satellite launched last week, and that was incorrect. It's actually SSL-MDA that developed the deployer that deployed PodSat-1 which deploys the HiSat satellites um, in, in turn. So you can go to SSL-MDA's website and I'll have a link in the podcast notes. Also, I did say last week that the NovaWorks HiSat um, satlet was one inch thick and that should have been obvious that that was incorrect because I did also say that was 20 by 20 by 10 centimeters. The 10 centimeters means four inches thick, not one inch. And I think I was just a little boss-eyed or buggy because you of, were a little American, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, um, math and particularly metrics are hard. So uh, here we go uh, with that. But the one positive thing we did learn from the Space Bees story, which also we uh, covered last week, um, and what confused me a little bit, uh, was the fact that Rocket Lab will be launching an electron rocket on a commercial. Uh, mission next month. 
Um, and that's based on the fact that FCC dismissed the uh, licensing or whatever you want to call it of the Space Beast to be able to launch in April on a Rocket Lab Electron. So there we are. That's all the corrections I have. So we'll get into some of the news that happened last week. Um, President Trump talked about the idea of a Space Force. Um, this story comes from the Examiner, although you can probably find it anywhere. So why do you think this is important? Space Force. We have Army, which is ground basically, Marines, Navy, but we don't have anything up in space and that's a real threat. Yeah, um, well, so we have heard this before and, and you're right, I mean, out of all that what you're saying is each part, uh, each element of the Earth or around the Earth has its own military Protection. focus. And so in this case we have assets in space like satellites and we launched assets with rockets, so we have those. Um, but we have the Air Force, doesn't that do most of the space right now? Well, they do. They are the stewards of space. Um, however, I would almost argue that the National Reconnaissance Office would be a better steward of space, and they have been in many ways already. But the Air Force is the one that's supposed to be the uh, space smart service, and they've been the steward for um, space operations uh, generally. For the United States military. Um, but again, I've heard this before. I heard this when I was getting into the Air Force in 1996. I heard it again with the Rumsfeld Commission in 2001, and then 9-11 happened, and all the Space Force talk just disappeared. Um, and I'm guessing it's just the Air Force wanted it to be that way. They weren't really interested in having a separate, uh, having people come out of their service to be a Space Force. And the Air Force losing their space money. That's true. Um, you know, they, they do have programs. They run some programs, and they have their acquisitions arm, um, which acquires satellites and rocket launch services. And uh, unfortunately, that part has been kind of broken, um, where we're spending more money and more time developing these elaborate systems instead of maybe having systems that can get the mission done in a uh, less expensive fashion. There are programs that the Air Force has done, like the Operationally Responsive um, Space Program, which base is just, uh, let's see, the last time was a sounding rocket that launched uh, quite a few satellites, or mini-sats, but was also a failure, so it didn't launch them. It, it got up to a certain altitude and then just spun out of control. So that program hasn't been helpful at all, although I, I think the ORS guys would disagree with that. Um, but I do think it's helpful that the president is the one saying it this time, because at least that might be getting the service's attention, whereas the Congress folks and the Senate folks, they say this, and the service sort of pays lip service, but they can kind of ignore them at the same time. Um, so it may be helpful that even if it's uh, you know President Trump, that a president has said, eh, Space Force might be a great idea. Let's explore that. Um, the Air Force does not like this idea. They think um, now is not the time because it makes things more complicated for them. But the question I would have for that, and I think I've heard some senators say that or some congress folks say 
Well, when would be a good time? Because war certainly isn't a good time to split off the Air Force. How would a Space Force make it more complicated for the Air Force? Because it would be easing up work for the Air Force. Well, you would think that, right? So I, I don't understand that either. Um, but they think I think what happens is now they suddenly have another service that has to compete for military money. So that's what that comes down to, and I don't think the Air Force likes that because space programs take a lot of money. Um, you know, if you look at the space Base infrared system, that, that program goes in the billions of dollars spent for that program. Um, and a lot of Air Force programs, just for, for Air Force stuff, does not take up as much money as space programs do. So there's that. Um, but the question I would have then for all this is, is how would having a Space Force be worse than what we have right now, which is um, we're having these ideas thrown by different generals on how the Space Force should be in the Air Force. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen it where um, basically the, the force, they want to integrate it, all space stuff into the DOD generally. So somehow serve the Navy, somehow serve the, the Army, somehow serve uh, the Air Force, but it's all integrated and tied together with space. But it sounds nice, but I think a lot of civilians don't realize that a lot of that's already happening. It's already knit together with space. Um, so I don't know how much more cross-domain, this is what they call it, integration they want to do. But the other piece of this is the intelligence puzzle. So it's not just communication satellites and it's not just war missile warning satellites, but there's an intelligence piece of we have satellites that can take imagery of certain areas around the world. And they can do that, especially like Planet now, a commercial provider. They have a satellite going over some piece of the planet every minute. It's impressive. Um, so how does the Air Force use that and knit that intelligence piece in there? I would argue that groups like the NRO or the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency have that ability already and they've got their requirements officers and their requirements folks getting together with the other um, services to figure out what that intelligence piece is. What needs to happen I think is the intelligence, the space intelligence guys with the space operators need to be sort of glued into one to become that space force to show just what the effects of a actual operational space force could be. So there's that. Um, the other part of the concern is we've heard generals and politicians talk about the threats in space by countries like China and Russia. And if that's true, then why are we talking about cross-domain when it really should be, there should be a force for space that deals with threats in space. And right now, none of the other services offer a capability, as near as I can tell, in any unclassified program, of the ability to nullify a threat in space. And that's what the Space Force would also need to be able to do is not just know that something's out there, but then have the capability to do something about it. And I, I think there's a lot of confusion about what a Space Force is. So define your terms and right. then proceed. Right, so 
the fact that the president said it, that's probably a good thing for a space force if we want to go in that direction. Um, but we'll see. It's a it's an interesting discussion for me personally because I've been in that. So, yeah. The other interesting discussion, though, uh, I found on the Mac Institute site, Ellen Chang from Lightspeed Innovations was being asked a few questions by the folks on that site. Um, you know, she asked about she was asked about why is there an increase apparently in the space activity going on, especially in the new space sector versus say traditional space. And her answer is, um, maybe unsurprisingly for those of us that monitor it, is CubeSats and how they, CubeSat manufacturing is now occurring in high schools, it's occurring in colleges, and it's not just the manufacturing, but then the coordinating to get a CubeSat into a launch vehicle, and then having that CubeSat orbit the Earth and conducting operations. So that means getting the payload package if it's an Earth observation satellite, that means they're getting pictures of the Earth and seeing how that works. And they're also learning how to talk with the satellite, learning to deal with some of the problems such as scintillation um, with satellites. So what that does, though, for the industry is it almost makes a ready-made space operator or engineer for space. Um, because when a person comes out of high school or college, uh, a satellite manufacturer or a satellite operator can say, oh, you did this, you know, like say a QB50 project? That's interesting. Tell us more and maybe we'll hire you, which is in a better place than maybe students were 10 years ago. I didn't even have a class uh, goldfish when I was in school, much less a class satellite to put on my resume. Yeah, I would have loved to have had this opportunity in high school, but um, yeah, that certainly wasn't available when I went through, and we were in some of the better schools, you know, the Department of Defense schools. Um, so this is a new development, and I think it can only be positive in the direction for the industry. Um, then the other part of it was, you know, the question of new space versus traditional space, um, where Ms. Cheng noted that um, traditional space has sort of catered to the government and military and by by definition those are very very risk averse customers to have if you work with customers like that for a long time you adopt the characteristics of those customers because why would you want to irritate them by constantly bringing up something new or different when all they want is just to be able to launch something safely and securely and, and and not have to worry about it. But new space is a little different because folks like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or um, Richard Branson all have these problems that they're trying to resolve, um, these personal issues that they're trying to figure out. You know, Elon has publicly said he wants to go to Mars. He wants people to live on Mars. He thinks it's the next step for humanity to survive extinction, at least if something happens to the Earth. So Mars is it for him. Um, but all of them are trying to solve these issues that, say, the traditional companies have not had to worry about. And because of this, the new space companies uh, are coming up with different ways to solve these problems because a traditional companies, again, they've never had to really face them aside from being a reliable um, provider of products or services to the government. So that was kind of how she pick, painted that picture. 
um, between the traditional and new space companies, uh, what makes them different. Um, I thought they were good and insightful comments, and uh, they also have a stream on the, on the webpage as well. Um, so it might be worth reading or listening to, depending on, on how you take your media. And yeah, so that brings us to the uh, Satellite 2018 conference that happened in Washington, D.C. this last week. Um, Spaceweek.com did an interview with ULA's Tori Bruno, um, in which Mr. Bruno noted they would be focusing more on the commercial aspect of space launch instead of just government. Why would they want to go into commercial? Well, um, probably because SpaceX is moving into government. So SpaceX uh, has played a very significant or been very aggressive in getting commercial contracts. And they've also been very aggressive about trying to procure government contracts. And successful uh, at both. And been successful at getting both. In, you know, ULA can sort of rely on the fact that they've been very, very reliable in the launches they conduct. They really haven't had any failures to speak of, where SpaceX has had at least one, which happened for Na you know, with a NASA payload in 2015. And then when they did a test run on the launch pad, there was that explosion that occurred with one of their rockets, um, which they, that wasn't a launch, but again, it showed that there were some problems with the rocket system itself. But the fact that the military, the DOD is parsing out contracts to both UL, in fact, this last week, they just talk, announced ULA will get some GPS launches and SpaceX will get some GPS launches. That's probably making ULA take notice that they can't rely on government contracts as much as they had in the past. So I don't think the shift to commercial is going to be easy, as easy as Mr. Bruno makes it sound. He makes it sound like they're just going to turn on this commercial launch money spigot and business and money is automatically going to come to the United Launch Alliance so that they can launch commercial rockets in the future instead of just government and military payloads. Um, I think during that interview there was a lot of spin. I didn't see a lot of insight and maybe it's just because the reporter just didn't have the time or wasn't allowed to ask those questions, I don't know. But the impression I'm getting from this interview and from the actions of ULA generally are they're going down this path that we've seen happen in the past with other businesses in other sectors. And one sector that comes to mind right away, one business is Research in Motion's BlackBerry phone business and what happened to that and how the company responded to Apple's iPhone and uh, Google's Android operating system. Um, and if you go through the history, well, the upshot is there is no more BlackBerry phone. Um, but there are a lot of Android phones out there, and there's a lot of iPhones out there. Um, and I just don't know if what ULA is proposing to do with their new rocket, the Vulcan, which they're saying won't even come into launching until 2020, um, I don't know if that's going to be enough. And I don't know if it's the correct response to begin with. It seemed to me, just personally, it looks like a reactive response to what SpaceX is doing. And I think by the time they introduce the Vulcan, 
SpaceX will already be another leap ahead with their big Falcon rocket, the BFR. They've already said, SpaceX has already said they're going to have the BFR up and launching, not necessarily to planets, but probably just for point to point, you know, from say New York to Singapore in 2020. So they are looking just to do suborbital launches with the BFR initially, but this is going to be, at least the way SpaceX is describing it, a significantly more capable vehicle than the Falcon 9. And the Falcon 9 is already fairly capable when compared to some of the other uh, industry competitors out there. So based on all that though, uh, there's more of this conversation or my thoughts on this on the madspaceball.com. You can go there and you just need to go there if you are interested in those thoughts and see if you have some of your own to add. That would be fantastic actually. So yeah, that's all the serious business, but then I did find something fun on vice.com this last week as well. And it's the story of how a reporter took heretofore undisclosed pictures of several Soviet Burans in um, Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. These were amazing pictures. They're very cool. Um, the story is actually kind of fun. Um, he ends up, he thinks, getting harassed by maybe some Russian agents at his home as far as someone may have break, broken into his apartment to take his camera, but he still had his pictures, so we see those. So you get to go to vice.com. I'd recommend looking at that. Um, it's fun to see those, but at the same time kind of sad because you just realize how far uh, the Russian space industry has basically fallen from its apex during the Soviet times. They, they don't seem proud of these old relics that they that they made I yes. agree yeah I, I don't know and that's our cat saying we need to go um, that said did you want to hear a joke bad no, joke but I will I will listen okay from jokesforus.com why can't you trust an atom I don't know why can't you trust an atom because they make up everything <laughs> and that's it we have authority to proceed have a great week everyone